Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Nick Walenda is a seventh-generation tightrope walker. Yes, you heard that right, seven generations. I didn't even know tightrope walking was around that long until this week when I was kind of researching this. Uh, but, but Nick Walenda, maybe some of you have heard of this man, is now a seventh-generation tightrope walker in this incredible family, the Walenda family. And right now, he's known for doing some pretty incredible things on the tightrope. Uh, I've got some pictures up here for you. Hopefully this will work. Um, if, I'm sorry if you can't see this in the back, but, but here's Nick. He's crossing uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope here. Um, may, maybe some of you saw this on TV years ago. Uh, I think the Discovery Channel put this on. But he's walking, literally, on inches of wire across Niagara Falls. That's crazy. Okay, that's, uh, I don't think, I definitely would not do this, uh, even if I had a harness. And if that wasn't enough, he's walking across a gorge of the Grand Canyon on a tightrope. And, and you can kind of see, here he looks like he's off balance. He did make it across, don't worry. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, he decided to do this one. And again, if you can't see, I'm sorry, but this is him walking between two skyscrapers in Chicago. And you can kind of see the rope is, is kind of at an incline. It was. The other building that he was walking to was taller than the one he left. And so he's walking on an incline, and below him are the streets of Chicago. This is just absolutely incredible. And again, if that wasn't enough, I don't have a picture of this one. He decided to blindfold himself and walk between two buildings in Chicago on a tightrope. Now, these, these um, acts are obviously very, very impressive and very intense high-risk acts. And I guess that's why people really like watching these things, why you can see the USA Today logo and the Discovery Channel logo at the top. Why they televise these events is because it's very risky. Very, very high, intense, high intensity in these type of acts. Because you think about it. Any wrong move for Nick, any twitch or you know, any gust of wind, any little movement leads in his death. If you fall off this rope from the Grand Canyon or the Ni- Niagara Falls, you know, or into Chicago, the streets of Chicago, you're, you're done. That's it. And I can't help but think, actually, this, act, this actually did happen to his great-grandfather. Nick Walenda's great-grandfather, Carl Walenda, I believe was his name, um, actually did fall on, doing a uh, tightrope act in Puerto Rico. Um, he fell 10 stories to his death from a condo. Um, and again, these are very high-risk acts. One move leads to very uh, injury for those maybe in the circus. Maybe you've seen these acts before. I can't help but think that this is kind of the way we view our Christian lives. Some of us view our lives as if we're walking on a tightrope. And I've got something here kind of to illustrate this. 
And uh, excuse the art here. I made this one. It's not very great. But hey, it might illustrate it here. Um, I really do think that when we're baptized into Christ, we believe we're placed on that rope. We're placed on the tightrope in between the two skyscrapers. And we're beginning our walk. And man, the, the, the line is God's commandments. We've got to, we've got to go to church. Check that one off the list. We've got to make sure we're serving other people. We've got to make sure we're loving other people more than ourselves. We've got to make sure we're loving God more than anything else. We've got to keep these commandments and walk the fine line of the gospel. Got, got to make sure that's what we're doing. We've got to be righteous people, you know. But one wrong move, a.k.a. a sin, any sin knocks us off the rope and we're condemned. But, but if we ask God for forgiveness, if we repent and we ask God for forgiveness, then He'll forgive us and He'll place us back up on the rope and we keep walking again across the, you know, the gorge or whatever and then if we slip up again, well, we're off the rope. And it's this never-ending cycle that we play sometimes as Christians, bouncing back and forth between salvation and condemnation. One minute we're saved, and then we sin, and, and, and we're not. Then we ask for forgiveness, oh, well, we're saved again, you know? Don't, please don't raise your hands for this, but if I was to ask, hey, raise your hands if, if you're a baptized Christian, or a Christian, repentant, baptized believer, undoubtedly we'd have hundreds of hands go up in here. A lot of hands would go up. But then if I asked the next question, I said, how many of you believe that if God were to come back right now, you would go to heaven? Or if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Not as many hands would go up. Some people may be like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm not really sure, so I'll hide my hand in front of my face so nobody else can see, you know. We're not sure, a lot of us are not sure if we will go to heaven or not. And I think it's because we play this game where we're up on the tightrope and we're, we're relying on ourselves to keep God's commands and we're trying to walk and stay balanced, but sin gets in the way and then we feel like, oh, we're tossed off and God's condemned us. We view God as almost this like cosmic tyrant in the sky, you know, waiting to cast us down when we mess up. That's not the, that's not the view that I see in the Bible and I know you don't either. It's just, I think Satan's kind of distorting it for us. So this morning, I want to give you a couple of reasons why this is a very dangerous and wrong way to live. Living a tightrope Christianity or this life bouncing back and forth between condemnation and salvation is a very dangerous way to live. I want to share with you three reasons today. And the first reason is that living a tightrope Christianity robs us of our hope. It robs us of our hope. You see, we use the word hope a lot, actually. And, and this example will be good for our, the college students over here. You see, this is something I said a lot in college. I really hope that the, chi- that the calf has chicken tenders today. Um, I, I said that all the time because that's one of like, my favorite meals that they made. I really hope, maybe uh, another example, I really hope I can make it on time to my class today or to a meeting that I have. I really hope that we'll have such and such over this weekend. I hope Alabama will beat Auburn. Yes, um, we say these things all the time. We, we use hope in a way that really expresses uncertainty. It's more of a wish. We say, well, I wish the calf would have chicken tenders, or I wish I could make it to this meeting, even though that's not the norm for me. We, we don't use it in the way that we see it in the Bible, because biblical hope expresses certainty. Certainty. As a Christian, our hope, as Christians, our hope, is to live eternally with our God. It's to spend 
a life with Him, that this life is just the beginning. This is nothing in the span of eternity. It's just a blink, and it's gone, but we have something waiting on the other side. It's a life with our Heavenly Father forever. That's our hope. But guess what? If you live on this tightrope, if you're walking back and forth, and you, at any moment you could be condemned, and then in the next moment you could be saved, the next moment you could be condemned, because guess what? You're always going to struggle with sin. You're always going to struggle with sin. And if you live on the tightrope, you're never going to know if, you're never going to have security in this hope. But that's what biblical hope is, is that you are certain that this is going to happen. You've probably heard it before. Somebody said, uh, hope is a confident expectation. I generally like that definition. Confidently expecting God's return. Confidently expecting Him to take us home with Him forever. But I, I really even think it's more than that. It's knowing that God will come back and take us home. If you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to uh, kind of stake out there today. Um, we're going to have a couple other verses, but really I just want to look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse uh, 23 to 25 to start off, and then we'll get into our other text. But I want you to understand that if you're living this life up here on the tightrope, bouncing back and forth between condemnation and salvation, you, you're not sure where you're going. But as a Christian, you should be sure. You should be secure in that hope of an eternal life with Him. Look at Romans 8.23, starting in verse 23 says, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We are eagerly waiting the coming of God. We are eagerly waiting, or should be, for God to come back and change our bodies from mortal to immortal to live with Him forever. That's what we're waiting for. That's our hope. It's for Him to come back and take us Home. And that's what we eagerly wait for, is to be adopted by Him. Now, this may seem confusing. Well, aren't we adopted already when we come into Christ? Absolutely. When you are baptized into Christ, and I believe that's actually even in this chapter, you are adopted into His family. But many of you know the adoption process is a very long and sometimes hard process. And so this adoption, the redemption of our bodies, is kind of like the final process. The adoption is complete when we are in God's presence, we are with Him forever. And that's what he's saying, that we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. We are waiting for that final day to spend forever in eternity with God. That's what we're waiting for. That's what this whole life is for. If we're Christians, that's what we're living to get to and bring others to Him so they can have that same hope that we have. And I love what he says in verse 24. For in hope we have been saved... But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? You see, we don't hope for something that we already have. See, I, I, I've got an iPhone. Many of you probably have an iPhone. And if I, if I pulled my iPhone out and I said, well, I really hope I get an iPhone, that wouldn't make sense because I've already got the iPhone. I don't need, I don't need an iPhone. I, need to hope, I don't need to hope for it because I've already got it. You don't hope for something that you already see, something that you already have. You hope for something that you don't see. See, we, we don't see heaven. We don't see God physically. 
But one day we will. We will be in heaven with Him. And because of that, we are sustained. Hope saves us. That's what he's saying. We are sustained by our hope. It keeps us going. When times get tough, when life gets rough, our hope keeps us going in this life because we have something so much greater that the trials, the tribulation will end here. We've got something waiting on the other side. But again, if you're living on the tightrope, bouncing back and forth between condemnation and salvation, you don't know. That hope has been basically shattered. It's taken away. But God wants us to know that we are saved. And that's actually one of the points of of John in his epistle. He writes this. I'm sorry if you can't see this in the back. But he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. Not that, well, it, it might be a chance. There might be a chance that you'll go to heaven. Uh, and, and, or maybe, you know, if, if you quit sinning, then you'll go to heaven, you know. No, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is one of the purposes of John writing his epistle to his audience is so that they may know that they have eternal life. And I think you and I can both know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when you're living on this tightrope, you're robbing yourself of that hope. You're robbing yourself of this expectation of God coming back and taking us home. The next thing I want to point out this morning, and this is probably the centrality of my message. If if you don't get anything else, please, the next few minutes are very, very important. The second thing is, living a tightrope Christianity distorts the gospel. It distorts the gospel. You see, we use this term, as, as well as hope, we use this term all the time. You know, what is the gospel? All the time, and I know what you're thinking. Well, it's the good news. The good news is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the gospel. Yeah, I would agree with you, but what does that mean for you and I? What does it mean that Jesus came and lived a perfect life? That he died, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the grave? What, what does that mean for us? We just celebrated the Lord's Supper, and really, if you're a Christian, it means everything. That's everything. It means that your sins have been completely erased. You don't have to bounce back and forth. Your sins have been done away with. They're washed away. Let's read, move up um, to Romans 8, 1 through 4. Uh, Jason read 1 through 2 for us. I want to move two more verses uh, beyond that. Romans 8, 1 through 4, here's what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see that first verse there? Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, if you are in Christ today, there's no condemnation for you. Your sins have been cleared. They're gone. Your record is clean before God. 
it's do- they're done away with. You don't have to rely on yourself anymore to keep the, the requirements of the law, to, to rely on yourself to do good. In fact, I'll submit to you, you can't be good in and of yourself. You can't be righteous in and of yourself. The only way you can be righteous is because Jesus was righteous. That's the only way. We can be right because Jesus was right. Now, how does this make sense? How can there be no condemnation in Christ? Because it seems that, you know, from other verses that we see, you know, the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 and Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that our iniquities have separated us from God. It seems that when we sin, we're separated from God. Well, I think we need to understand something about God first and foremost here. God is completely holy. God is completely righteous and just and perfect. Everything about him is good. Sin goes directly against who he is, directly against his very nature. And because of that, sin has to be dealt with. Something must be done with sin. It can't go unpunished. And so you remember, you see a lot of language in here. Um, You know, verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. And then verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We see a lot of law language in this. Now, what, what, what is this all about? Well, if you remember, in the Old Testament, God gave the, the, His people, the Israelites, the law of Moses. And now, if you want to go check this for Scripture, the Gentiles also had a law written on their hearts. That's Romans 2, 14 through 16. Everybody was under the law before Jesus Christ came. There was a problem with the law. Not because of anything that God did wrong. It's because of us. There was a problem with the law because no one could keep it perfectly. We just said a second ago that God is perfect. And because God is perfect, He does not fellowship with sin. He does not fellowship with evil. Otherwise, He wouldn't be God. He's perfect. He cannot fellowship with sin. So in order for us to have fellowship with Him, we have to be perfect. And here's what Paul said. Well, I guess I didn't put it in here. I thought I put it in here. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says, For as many are of us are under... The, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You see, before Jesus came... Everybody was responsible for keeping the law themselves. That's why Paul says, cursed is everyone who's under the law, because no one could keep it perfectly. We're sinful human beings. We mess up. And so you remember the Jews always had to offer these sacrifices to God for their sins, to make atonement for their sins. But we know that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. They always just had to keep on offering these sacrifices. Because... In order for us to be in fellowship with God, we've got to be clean. We've got to be perfect, like Him. But that was the problem with the old law. No one could keep it perfectly. And that's what he says uh, in verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The one person who could keep the law... The one person who was perfect was who? It was Jesus Christ. He was the one person who fulfilled the law of God, who did not mess up, who did not stumble in one point of it. He was perfect. 
And because of that, man, he was, he was a pleasing and perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He performed the law and was perfectly righteous so that you and I could be perfectly righteous. And that's what it says right there, verse 4, so that the requirement of the law, the requirement is perfection, that we be perfect, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, the gospel story is this beautiful picture of God chasing humanity and desiring an intimate, deep relationship with each and every one of us. And he, all, he gave His Son as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled the law, what nobody else could do. He died on our behalf. And when we come into contact with His blood through the watery grave of baptism, our sins are cleansed. We are not condemned. There is no condemnation because our sins have been washed away. And when we mess up, when we sin, God sees His Son's blood covering those sins. God sees us perfectly because our sins are covered by His perfect Son. You see, the requirement of the law was perfection. And Jesus was perfect. And so now we live under this new covenant of Jesus' blood, that His perfect blood covers you and I. But we're distorting the Gospel when we're living in a way where we say, well... If I sin, I'm thrown off the tightrope and and God, you know, He's he's condemning me. No, there's no condemnation. You have been cleansed of your sin. The weight has been lifted because Jesus bore your sins for you. And I think this is something that we struggle to understand. Is that our sins have been completely covered by our Savior. Now, can we just go on sinning just because we have this grace? That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 6, 1. By no means. Can we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. For how of us who have died to sin, how can we still live in it? We cannot live in sin. But I think that's what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 1, where he says in verses 7 through 10, really, that if we are walking in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So can you just go on sinning just because Jesus has cleared your record? Absolutely not. You can't just keep sinning. You have to walk in the light. Try your best to flee sin. Try your best to be righteous. But remember, it's not on you. Jesus has already covered that. He has made you righteous before God. But you have to be a light-walking Christian, confessing your sins, and His blood will always cleanse you of those sins. You can't just sin just because you've got the grace. And so when you're living this tightrope Christianity, you're distorting the gospel. You're saying, well, that sacrifice is not enough. I've got to be righteous. I've got to walk this line, and I've got to be good. But you're already good because Jesus made you good. Because of the way He lived perfectly and covers your sins with His blood. So I would would submit to you that it's a very dangerous way to live because you're distorting the gospel of Christ. He died for you so that you didn't have to worry about your sins. But so many of us continue to live and walk in our sins and bury us. And that's the last thing I want to point out to you today is that it hinders us from bearing fruit. Walking the tightrope 
this Christianity, a tightrope Christianity, bouncing back and forth, it hinders us from bearing fruit. What do I mean by bearing fruit? Well, I simply just mean that it hinders us from growing in our faith. And maybe you might want to think of, I do think it includes the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things and, and bringing others to Christ, it hinders us from these things. Turn back one chapter, uh, if you will, to Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Romans 7, verse 4. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, my brethren, you also are made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. See, we just talked about the law, how the law is done away with in Christ, because he was perfect. Jesus fulfilled the law, and he's perfect. We were made to die to the law. See, Paul had just, right before this, we don't have time to read it this morning, he had just given an illustration of a woman being released from a, a marriage bond because her husband had died. And she's free to marry another man because her husband has died. And in the same way, the law has died. And we are free to marry another, Jesus Christ. We are free to partake in this new covenant of His blood. And we were made to die to this law so that we might bear fruit for God. We were made to to live in this new life with Jesus Christ. Not to try to rely on our own selves to keep the law, to be righteous, but to rely on Jesus to be righteous. And if we are that, if we rely on that, if we are living that way and we understand God's grace, man, we can bear fruit. But you know what? If you're walking on the tightrope, if you're relying on yourself to keep the law, to do good, to be righteous, to flee sin, you know what? You're going to have a struggle. Because you know what? Sin weighs on us. Sin leaves a huge stain on us. And we cannot bear it ourselves. We cannot. And so when we live this way on the tightrope, we're trying to take it all on ourselves. We're trying to be the ones who carry, carry the weight. And that hinders us from bearing fruit, from our faith growing, from our faith being where it needs to be for God. I want to show you one more verse. Titus 2, 11 through 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. You see, God's grace opens up a huge door for us. When we understand that we have been forgiven, even when we don't deserve it, when we understand that, and we, we can go on with our lives, when we understand that our sin's been dealt with by Jesus Christ, we can go on living this life because the burden of sin has been lifted. And we can grow in our faith. We can bring others to Him because we're not hindered by that sin. So God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness or worldly passions. When we understand God's grace... And we come into contact with Jesus' blood. We understand that grace. And it opens up a new door for us. We won't want to give in to the sin. We won't want to be worldly any longer. And we can bear fruit for God because of that. You see, when I was uh, a new Christian, uh, a couple, uh, seven years ago now, I guess, I lived this tightrope Christianity. I had some things that I was struggling with. I still have things that I struggle with. 
But when I first became a Christian, I thought that, man, I'm struggling so much with these certain sins, with certain things in my life. And I didn't understand the grace of God, the gospel fully. I was walking this tightrope, trying to be good in and of myself. I I was thinking that every time that I sinned, that God was super upset with me and that I had to pray for forgiveness. What I was mentioning at the beginning, that was me. I, I thought I had to pray for forgiveness before God accepted me back. I didn't understand God's grace fully. I didn't understand what He desired for my life fully. But now, as I've matured in my Christian walk with Him, I understand that all my sins have been dealt with. And I'm going to continue to struggle with sin for the rest of my life. But I know that the battle's been won, and I rely on Jesus instead of myself. I rely on Him. Guys, I don't, I don't think you, if you don't understand this or not, but what a blessing it is that our sins have been dealt with by Jesus. We don't have to rely on ourselves to be right anymore because Jesus was right for us. And I lived that way for so long. And then when I finally understood it, finally, you know, really took some courses over here at Faulkner with Dr. Don Myers. He opened up this world for me. And I finally understood, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to live on this tightrope, bouncing back and forth between condemnation and salvation. I can live free from sin in Christ. Again, will I mess up? Absolutely. But I know that my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you are a Christian today, the same is true for you. You've been covered. You're cleared. But you have to, you have to walk in the light as He is in the light. You have to confess your sins. So this morning, if you have a need, if you want to confess your sins... And we'd love to pray with you. We would love for you to come forward and, and we, we want to pray with you. If you haven't been baptized before and you want to become a Christian, there's no greater time than right now. Won't you come right now as we stand and as we sing?